Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily Season 2, Episode 326, for November 22nd, 2023. I am Marwat. Up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI. Sorry for the delay. I'm actually trying to do something and it's acting really weird. Um, anyway, and uh, over there is hometown.com. And today we're going to talk about does it eliminate superbugs? Space laser communication. No, children are not harmed by screen time. A fly in hauls oats. Sea worm butts. The ISS continues to head towards retirement. The Big Bang Theory quantum spinoff. The brain does not rewrite itself. Hop to it crystal. And Bard, the watcher. Next on. Ooh. I wonder how this is sounding. Well, anyway, we'll find out in post because the monitor says that everything's fine. But anyway, again, I'm Marwat. That's hometown. And up there is the visualizer for the AI. You want to say hello to all ye citizens out there? Good evening, hometown citizens. I kind of changed things up a little bit in the beginning there. Because I, uh, I wanted to test something out and see what was going on. And wow. We'll just, we'll just go. Yeah. We'll just keep going. So what I'm doing right now is um, trying out some, a new configuration because I want to post uh, video content over to TikTok and uh, to YouTube as a vertical as shorts and um testing it out right now so we'll see uh, hopefully the audio isn't messed up you hear everything okay over there uh, sentient ai everything is fine on my end cool it's looking good over here so let's get into today's articles Ooh, that went really slow didn't it it did yeah we'll see how this plays out let's just keep going um, the very first article is over in hometown daily chemical used to kill superbug in hospitals, us hospitals, no more effective than water. According to this article, it's over at newsweek.com and uh, Pandora Dewan is the author of this strong bleach is no match for hospital superbugs. New research suggests. Superbugs are disease-causing bacteria that are both highly virulent and resistant to most commonly used antibiotics. These drug-resistant microbes infect more than 2 million people in the U.S. every year, according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, killing at least 23,000 people. So the team that did some research into this uh, focused their investigations on a bacterium called Clostridiode. Dio <laughs> Clostridioides. Yeah, Clostro Clostridioides. Never mind. Anyway, difficile. 
uh, which affects roughly half a million Americans <laughs> it every is year. Difficile. Yeah, it's very difficile to, uh, uh, and I think that's actually what that actually means. It's it does. difficult. That's why I thought that was funny. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, causing around 29,000 deaths here is what it says, but up there it says 32. Anyway, infections result in life-threatening, uh, all kinds of stuff. Well, I won't get into all of that, but anyway, in their study, Joshi and colleagues exposed dormant spores of C. difficile uh, to three clinically in use concentrations of sodium, sodium hypochlorite or bleach. The spores were then put on surgical scrubs and patient gowns and examined under a scanning electron microscope to establish if they had undergone any changes after the bleach treatment and what they found was shocking. According to the article, it was shocking. I think a lot of people are probably going, yeah, mm -hmm, we understand. Well, the spores were apparently completely unaffected. Indeed, the high concentration bleach used in hospitals was no more effective at damaging the spores than just plain water. So, something That's to a be... little concerning for anybody who's ever been in a hospital. Yeah, and it's these particular superbugs. They're aware of it. Um... Joshi said, however, there are still unanswered questions regarding the extent of biocide tolerance within C. diff and with uh, and whether it is affected by antibiotic co-tolerance. So with antimicrobial resistance increasingly increasing globally, the need to find those answers, both for C. diff and other superbugs, has never been more pressing. So this is one of those things where you're like, well, they're bleaching everything. It's not a big deal. So this is a false positive that it's doing great good and exactly. people feel secure <laughs> and it's just not that way. But that's why researchers continue to research. So let's drop this into the chat and hope that whoever is reviewing my videos doesn't haphazardly come across a freaking headline somewhere in somebody else's content that triggers a notice that my content is politically charged, which it isn't. And I'm quite vociferous about this now. Whoever is auditing my videos, look at the context. It isn't me, <laughs> it's the news. And so essentially, Everyone who talks about the news apparently cannot talk about politics without getting registered as talking about politics, which is the antithesis of everything in the United States. So let's keep going. I'm watching the transition to see if it it's smooth on the stream, but it seems slow. So but let's keep going. Um, the next article is over in hometown daily. Earth has received a message sent from deep space laser. And it took just 50 seconds to travel 10 million miles. So on the next site, there is an artist representation of this high bandwidth information beam of light from Mars to Earth. NASA beamed a message from nearly 10 million miles. The technological feat using NASA's Psyche probe broke new ground for deep space communication. This 
is so much Star Trek. I love it. Uh, NASA hopes to one day send high-speed streaming to Mars. NASA has achieved a world first after sending a laser-beamed message to Earth from nearly 10 million miles away within 50 seconds. So usually that takes somewhere around 14 minutes um, to send information and then you have to wait and it comes back. I think it's 14 minutes uh, to Mars, I think, which is the name of my band in uh, my cover band in 14 seconds to Mars. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a band. Doesn't that sound like a band? Yeah. I don't know. What would they imagine dragons kind of a thing or I don't know. I have to. Yeah, definitely alternative music. Yeah. Maybe I can make a shirt 14 seconds to Mars. Uh, or 14 minutes to Mars. Sorry, not seconds, 14 minutes to Mars. Anyway, while the space agency has long been able to communicate with spacecraft using radio waves, it's never before been able to send information using laser from that far into space. I might've pronounced that incorrectly. Let me throw this into chat. There you go, folks. And it's over at Business Insider. Marianne Guineau is the author of this. What, what is amazing about this, by the way, isn't that we've done it. That's just kind of a given in science. Eventually we're going to do what we want to achieve, right? Just takes time, but that they've done it with a laser pointing at earth and they caught it. So how do you catch exactly. a beam of light? <laughs> well, I mean, they don't even have good GPS to get to the moon. So I think this is pretty impressive. Yeah, can you imagine the sophistication of an apparatus? I, I just, it's mind boggling because it's basically at, at a cosmic scale, it's like pointing a laser down a hallway and a cat chasing after that beam of light and hitting it. And you're like, yay, look, we did it. But it's, this is at the stellar level from planet to planet a laser. So I just love every aspect of this. So uh, the feat achieved using NASA's deep space optical communications experiment on board the Psyche spacecraft could someday allow humans to stream video calls on Mars. Yeah. Hey, this is getting a bit much. <laughs> this is just spectacular. Uh, the probe, the, the probe homed into a powerful laser signal sent from the Jet Propulsion Lab Table Mountain facility near Wrightwood, California. This acted like a beacon to help Psyche aim its transmitter. The spacecraft then beamed back information using its laser. The signals were received by the Hale Telescope in San Diego County, California within around 50 seconds. The probe was about 10 million miles away at the time, 16 million kilometers. That's about 40 times the distance from the earth to the moon. I hope that they, they don't say in here how long it normally takes. Um, but I, I seem to recall that it takes something like 14 minutes to uh, send a signal to Mars. So this first experiment is paving the way toward higher data rate communications capable of sending scientific information, high definition imagery and streaming video in support of humanity's next giant leap, sending humans to Mars. 
This is just so spectacular. I love this. So at that distance, the light sent by Psyche will be much fainter. And at that distance, the photons will take about 20 minutes to arrive. The technology is designed to work when Mars is as far away from Earth as possible, which is about 235 million miles or more than twice the distance between the sun and Earth. That's enough time for both the spacecraft and Earth to have moved, which means JPL scientists need to make some careful calibrations, which is what I was talking about when I said this is like shooting a beam of light down a hallway and a cat just bolting after it and catching that little dot. That's basically what's going on with planet to planet. And that's actually hovering in space, shooting it at a planet. Can you imagine if they don't get the target correct? Well, somebody out there, some alien is going, what? Wait, what? what? Exactly. Can you angle your phone a little bit so the light doesn't splash into my eyes? Oh. I'm sure everybody's had that passenger in the car while you're driving and the sun hits the screen and blinds the driver. Sorry about that. Um, we'll, we'll pull the car out of the ditch. Let's go get lunch. Let's keep going. The next article is over in Omtown Daily. Can we stop the moral panic yet? New study, children's brains are not harmed by screen time. Now, uh, I just had a, a series of presentations and discussions um, similar to this vein. People are looking through research and writing and talking about the material. Um, and uh, many people still maintain that well, if uh, a child uses a, a screen, then it hurts their eyes and it hurts their various other apparatus, like coping mechanisms, human interaction, etc. And actually that's more determined by parental and uh, social interactions. But sure, <laughs> everybody would suffer if you do nothing but screen time. But Right, if you have no human interaction, but that doesn't mean screen time is bad. Correct. So over the last few years, we've highlighted uh, study after study after study, and this is the article, not me. Um, contrary to the public narrative, claims by politicians, the media, plaintiffs in many, many lawsuits, the actual evidence is just not there at all. That shows social media internet is doing damage to kids. Well, in some cases it is, but generally. Um, so let's go over to the source of this. Uh, Mike Masnick is the author. And again, it's titled, Can We Stop the Moral Panic Yet? New study, children's brains are not harmed by screen time. Now, I'm not quite sure as a blanket statement, you can say, screen time alone the content that they consume particularly in a child if things are normalized then you're going to change their psychological profile you know the the adage that i use with people is if you walk by a roof and you throw a pebble on it eventually that roof collapses and that's what happens with people um, particularly when not given the tools to cope with stressors. Children typically don't have that innate ability 
when they're confronted with things that are outside their normal sphere of understanding. So you have to talk with them and, and uh, teach them the tools to cope with things that might uh, confront them as time goes on. Well, it says here, uh, the actual evidence just does not show at all that social media and the internet is going to damage kids. In a recent post that they highlighted in this article over at techdirt.com, um, a few of the recent reports on uh, uh, this research that they've been doing is presented. So last fall, the widely respected Pew Research Center did a massive study on kids and the internet and found that the majority of teens social media was way more helpful than harmful. But a lot of parents and a lot of people aren't concerned about the majority of teens. It's the ones that are getting caught up in all of the, I guess that the, the fluff and negativity in social media. And those are right, the- we could go through a lot of negative issues, particularly for teenagers. Yeah. And um, I, tend to let people know that there was a there was a research project performed on 700,000 people on Facebook where they received negative news and positive news two different groups the people who received negative news responded negatively on Facebook the people who received positive news responded positively on Facebook but they didn't track what happened offsite so as I say to people, we don't know if those people left the site, went outside and started kicking cats and flipping off police and raging against society. And we don't know if the people that got positive news ran out and started hugging and kissing everybody and saying, I love you. We just don't know, but we do know that we are easily manipulated by the stuff we consume online. That's why a lot of people don't like talking about politics. They don't like seeing things that happen out in the real world that they don't regularly see. They want to be happy. They want to see things that are fun. Um, you know, some people want to watch sports. They don't want to sit there and watch business. But if you <laughs> are forced to watch this stuff or you kind of doom scroll as a child, curious about what's going on in the world, you may end up in a negative downward spiral until a parent or sibling or somebody catches on. Right, but it's not necessarily the screen time, it's the specific content. Right. And that is the refrain that I will always say. You can read all of these little links, right? Soon after that, the U.S. Surgeon General came out with a report which was misrepresented widely in the press, yet the details of that report also showed that no causal link between social media and harms to teens. Um, it did still recommend that we act as if there were a link, which was weird and explains the media coverage, but the actual report highlights no causal link while also pointing out how much benefit teens receive from social media. Um, really when it comes down to all of this is parents have to stay engaged in their child's existence. They can't just sit there and say, here's your iPad. You have fun. Um, don't come to me when you have a problem. You have to communicate. You have to stay engaged. So the journal of pediatrics just published a new study again, noting that after looking through decades of research, the mental health epidemic faced among young people, appears largely due to the lack of open spaces where kids can 
be kids without parents hovering over them. That report notes that they explore the idea that social media was part of the problem, but could find no data to support that claim. So now folks at Oxford University who did one of the studies um, have released another study, this time looking at almost 12,000 kids in the US to determine whether screen time had an impact on their brain function or, or well-being. And um, according to this, screen time activities included traditional screen pursuits, such as watching TV shows and movies using digital platforms such as YouTube and watch videos, um, or to watch videos, as well as interactive pursuits like playing games. I'm sure I'm going to promote Twitch in there. You know, everybody, I, I, I treat Twitch like my, like people tr treat sports. I, I watch Twitch instead of NFL and stuff like that. It's more interactive. I get to hang out with a community. Um, and it's cosmopolitan. People are everywhere. So I enjoy it thoroughly. The study here though, appears pretty thorough using data from adolescent brain cognitive development. Uh, that's a study. Uh, the largest long-term study of brain development and child health in the United States. Researchers from Oxford Internet Institute, University of Oxford, University of Oregon, Tilburg University, etc. Uh, the participants' neurodevelopment was assessed through monitoring functional brain connectivity, which refers to how regions of the brain work together and includes emotional and physiological activities. Um, the researchers behind the study were pretty clear on what they feel has been learned. Jack Miller, the first author, uh, says if screen time had an impact on brain development and well-being, we expected to see a variety of cognitive and well-being outcomes that this comprehensive representative research did not show. Another, um, who another researcher who supervised the work, um, we know that children's brains are more susceptible to environmental influence than adults as digital screen time is a relatively new phenomenon. It's important to question its impact. Um, and then down there's others that say additional stuff, but it says all of this research is important because clearly there does seem to have a, a mental health crisis going on, including among children, but we risk making things worse, not better when we immediately insist that it must be because the internet video games or screen time or whatever. And I think that's more true than not because context matters. It's something that I say all the time. Well, and I think there are absolutely benefits i mean we saw that during the pandemic where people were negatively impacted but the positives were connecting through things like social media um being able to watch something entertaining i mean i i think those benefits can't be ignored yeah um i agree and i the way that i see it is it is a tool that's designed to reach well beyond the carbon footprint of the person and along with parents and family members, friends, etc., keeping in touch, you can mitigate quite a bit of what might be um, bullying online that crosses into the real world or trolling or basically anything that uh, a, a child would go through in physical space except that they're no longer being physically picked on it's mental um but that mental can sometimes have physical ramifications right lack of sleep that's upset stomach biological issues um so it isn't the screen itself it never has been 
you know i had people saying um it, from their research they said that their eyes were strained and etc and well it's not causing you harm your eyes are designed to consume light but if all you do is look at just the screen and you never look away you're the never give your eyes any relaxation yeah just look around for a little bit look around the room you could still sit there for 12 hours and you're not harmed your eyes are not going to break because you're spending too much time looking at a screen um now if you have other issues like you're staying up all night or um you're consuming media that might have a negative psychological impact on you that's uh, again context matters change that well, activity whatever it is but it isn't the screen and looking at a screen all day is not going to hurt you anyway it's an interesting article so feel free to follow the link through hometown and go and check it out let's keep going yeah i'm gonna i might have to stop the recording but uh not the stream just the recording because i have two recordings going on at the same time so Anyway, um, the next article is over in the continuity report. Daryl Hall gets restraining order against John Oates in Hall and Oates legal battle. So I titled this segment, the fly in Hall's Oates. I thought it was funny. You know, I thought Hall and Oates were a duo. This is unusual. Um, well, they were a duo, um, but I guess there's some animosity brewing. Uh, Ethan Shanfeld over at Variety.com put the article together. There's no deck statement, but um, I've seen this pop up from time to time in entertainment circles. And this latest thing is because the the lawsuit that's taking place between Hall and Oates is under seal. When something pops up, <laughs> it's like piranha feeding, uh, feeding frenzy. And that's what happened here. Let me throw this link into uh, chat because I failed to do that. There you go. And um, so what ended up happening was a public restraining order was disclosed. Um, and it's a TRO. So um, whatever happened apparently spawned a, a TRO that uh, began on November 30th. Um, or is to begin on November 30th. The Na Nashville Chancery Court confirmed the existence of the lawsuit to Variety, but declined further comment because the lawsuit is sealed. Um, apparently, Hall came out on Bill Maher's Club Random podcast last year saying that in response to inquiry, I suppose, you, you think John Oates is my partner? He's my business partner. He's not my creative partner. And then continued... To kind of say things, you know, we're not creative brothers, we're business partners, we made records called Hall and Oates together, but we've always been very separate. It's and that's important thing for me. Um Well they also though were touring like a year ago, so well, this is interesting. And that's kind of funny because it says <laughs> right there. Both Hall and Oates have soloed or solo recording careers and have toured separately over the years, but the duo never officially split up. So <laughs> this is this is one of these things that kind of reminds me of um, 
Mythbusters, where people perceive them to be like the best of friends, but really they they get along well together and they're professional together, but they don't hang out together. They're not sitting there texting right, each other. They all the seem time. like they were good yeah. friends or something from the way the, the show was filmed. Yeah, really good marketing. Um, so apparently there's something going on between the two. I suspect that it's probably... Uh, either royalty or some other uh, professional uh, conflict where it's going to take a court case. But it's sealed. Does this remind you a little bit of the, I think it was the Everly Brothers, if I'm not mistaken? Oh, where trying to resurrect their name? Mad that they were using the name. I wonder yeah. if that's going on here. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting, but it's sealed. And, and you'd think that somebody would be able to compel the court to unseal it because the public have an interest, which is always the, you know, the the phrase du jour to try and obtain information um, about a lawsuit that might be sealed. Well, I think that maybe everybody should just let them solve the problem on their own and not sit there and inflame it. But to go on to Bill Maher and say something about it seems like it's going to inflame the situation. Exactly. Um, that wasn't meant at keeping the peace. Yeah. Cause he, uh, they uh, Hall straight out says that Oates didn't have anything to do with uh, kiss on my list. Um, other than co-producing it, but he wasn't the writer. Um, and uh, apparently it's not, they're not credited with a uh, songwriter, just, co-producing um but that's kind of like you know throwing some <laughs> rocks at their glass house you know uh, you had nothing to do with this maybe that's part of it you know maybe it's about royalties or something talk about getting a way back machine to make it worth your while maybe there's a lot of money in that i mean yeah, let's keep on so. let's keep going the next article is over in Technology Today. The bizarre case of swimming sea worm butts. Nature's weirdest trick. <clears throat> I know you that You don't when, normally see butts swimming around. Uh, well, I don't know what pool you go to, but... Or which beach you attend. But sometimes you see way too many. Uh, armed with... Its own eyes, antenna, swimming bristles, the posterior body part of a sea worm detaches for spawning. So <laughs> this gets a little bit more <laughs> strange, bizarre, as they say here in this article over at SciTechDaily.com. Apparently this uh, trick is to detach your back half and let it do everything while you go off and, I don't know, what, pay the bills, go get dinner? Does it grow back? I'm not quite sure. Anyway, the, the detached part is called the stolen, which, if you pronounce that with a German inflection, really ruins it. Um, and it's full of gametes, which is the eggs or sperm. The stolen, um, oh God, I have to stop myself from pronouncing it in German, the stolen... Uh, swims around by itself and spawns when it meets the opposite sex. Swimming autonomously would not only protect the original body from environmental dangers, 
but could also help its gametes disperse over a larger area. So I guess you're swimming in it. Yeah, but so, how does it return to the original? Oh, I don't think it does. Worm. Uh, oh, okay. No, I, I think it. I think it just starts to generate another one. A swimming megacillus nipponica with a stolon in its posterior end. Yeah, there's a video. Uh, I'm. That's a risky click. I don't want to see whatever this is. Um, at least not at the moment. It says to swim autonomously, the stolons develop their own eyes, antenna, and swimming bristles while still attached to their original body. But how does the stolen head form in the middle of the original body? So this thing actually like breaks off. It actually forms a little body at the end of the body. I don't know where it is in this. Right there, maybe? Well, there's one segment that's darker so i'm assuming it's in that but it may just be the lighting in the yeah i almost i almost want to click this but man so apparently it goes through various stages and then breaks off and goes and gets business done and um that's it hawk's genes determine the body segmentation along the psyllid's body muria and uh, team thought that those genes would be expressed differently along the anterior posterior axis. Interestingly, the expressions of Hox genes that determine body part identity were constant during the process, says Miura. As a result, the stolons lack differentiated digestive tract and have repeated uniform body segments, except for the head and tail. This indicates that the only the head part is induced at the posterior body part to control spawning behavior for reproduction. So, Essentially, this thing just kind of kicks off a little portion of itself that goes off and mates in the parent, the, 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 the tree, um, continues, the origin or whatever. Yeah, yeah, the tree continues to grow, but the branch doesn't fall too far from the tree because it's out there getting busy with whatever might be compatible. So guard your legs. Um, okay, let's keep on going. There's not much more to this. Thought it was neat because of what it does. Um, can you imagine that? You know, you're like walking along. And no, I wonder bud. if the worm's like, hey, wait, where did I, where did part of me go? Yeah. <laughs> I am a foot shorter. Where the heck did. You better keep going. I'm going to say something embarrassing. So this next article. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I did it again, folks. I neglected to throw this article about the sea worm into chat. There's the sea worm and here's the next one. So the next article is in the mobile channel. NASA confronts looming gap in human space missions as ISS retirement draws near. So yeah, it's ending its service in low earth orbit. It's eventually going to fall into earth at as far as I understand it, I don't know if they're going to try and take it apart in space, but, um, debris continues to be a problem, the growth of debris. Um, so I don't know what's going to end up with the ISS ultimately. Um, so NASA is grappling with the idea of a short term gap until a commercial alternative takes its place, which I'm not too hip to. I would like it to be 
a non-commercial solution. Well, we um, don't want to be leasing it or whatever we need to do <laughs> if it's commercial. Yeah. Uh, a but subscription, I think, you know? Yeah, really. Um, we can allow you to connect your... Well, there's like 15 people in the IS. At, not right now. I'm just saying that in the future, if it becomes a commercial enterprise, there's like 15 people in there. And, and they're like, well, you didn't pay your $49.99, so your seats aren't heated anymore. Well, I was thinking something more like your airlock isn't closed or, <laughs> just, or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. You have two-factor authentication on your airlock. Um, so uh, I think their name is Passant Robbie. Um Put the article together for gizmodo.com. The deck statement says, as the International Space Station approaches its retirement, there is concern that commercial alternatives not might not be prepared in time. Well, I don't think that they will be. Um, and usually it's one of those deep pocket things. Hey, if we wait long enough and it becomes a little bit more deleterious to, why won't this pause um, to, uh, <laughs> to hurry up, right? Like if we hurry up and put something up in space, we may not be able to extract as, as much value, enough money from the government, uh, which is taxpayers, folks. Just let me know. Government is not a disembodied entity in control of all things from some um, space location. That we it's, it's us humans that are driving all of this stuff. So we do these private public uh, partnerships, but a lot of it is done entirely by commercial enterprise. Um, this has been, this has been an ongoing pivot from a historical past where a lot of stuff government wise was entirely because of civil servants hired by the government itself. Now we use corporations and things like what's referred to as COTS, common off the shelf goods and services. You can just go and buy them. Um, or you now do the whole uh, bidding for contracts from the federal government, which got a whole section for that called Far Weekly, which is um, about federal rules for contracting. Anyway, um, they're trying to fulfill these contracts to put another international space station up into space and who knows how long it will actually end up being and how much the final cost will be. Well, exactly. I'd like to know how long it took to get the original one in place. And I think yeah. that's actually farther down in the article. Oh, really? I'd have to look. Um, so the ISS took nearly 10 years to build in earth, uh, orbit. Over a series of 30 missions, it's true that NASA's commercial partners are relying on the design of the ISS as a blueprint to help develop their own space stations, but launch date in 2028 for the private space stations, plural, apparently, um, still seems a bit unrealistic. NASA is also at risk of incoming budget cuts as a result of the deficit reduction legislation that recently went into effect, which would affect the funding going towards the commercial space station designs. So you got Blue Origin, Voyager Space. There's others actually that are, uh, my understanding is that there are others, Axiom Space, there you go, um, all trying to get something into commercial low earth orbit destinations. Um, I don't know, this... So do you think we'll have a 10 year gap without an ISS? Well, yes. I think or that there's gonna be... 
yeah, I, I suspect that there's going to be a significant gap. It's the ISS is retiring by the year 2030. How long it takes to for these other org organizations to spin up another space station? I don't know. With SpaceX being able to launch stuff into orbit with relative ease and reliability, unless SpaceX itself becomes a, a space station partner, um, they're going to have to, well, they're going to, yeah, I would say the federal government will probably compel SpaceX to launch objects into low earth orbit for building a new space station. So they're the vehicle. But that said, it re would require whatever is going up into space to be the objects that are going to be connected together. Whereas what was sent up into space went up in the shuttle and then was attached together in space. So I don't know how they're going to get it all up into space. Um, but we have to do better than the ISS this time because we have advanced technologies that it should enable us to do something bigger. I mean, we true, really... but it'll be more expensive, right? And correct, more complicated, perhaps, because there's probably more rules in place about it now and more profit generating for which means higher cost to the taxpayers, even though, you know, anyway, it is how it is uh, nowadays. It's an interesting article, um, but I think NASA is going to have a, a, a delay, which is going to pause significantly research because there isn't going to be a space station up there that's operational for this purpose. We'll keep watching. Right. That's the real shame here is that I feel like I think we've been doing quite a bit of research recently with it, yeah. and I feel like it's just going to take us backwards. Yeah. So seven years. They've got to get something operational. I, I mean, so That's there's like got to be a ready to go today, though. Correct. Yeah, it, it would take seven years. Let's say they take seven years to get something up into space. That's when the ISS is going to drop, right? Well, that's not going to happen. So because they're just now planning this stuff, they're still working towards designs and, and the feasibility study for it. Um, I just don't see it happening in seven years, but stranger things have happened. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the continuity report. One Big Bang Theory spinoff detail is a very good sign for the show. If uh, you're not familiar with the Big Bang Theory, it's basically um, a story about um, <laughs> a bunch of uh, scientists and a blonde across the hall. That's not a scientist. That's not a scientist. And um, it went on for how many years? Something like... Uh, I think 12 seasons. 12? Somewhere around that. 12 to 14 seasons. I don't know. Maybe it's in this article when we get to it. Um, and the funny thing about this is for a year and a half, we haven't seen anything about Big Bang Theory, I don't think. Um, but we're actually watching all of the episodes of Big Bang in like a binge kind of way. <laughs> Um, and we've been doing that for about a, what, two weeks? Um, well, probably longer than that, but we've been doing it recently and we've mentioned it on the show at least once or twice. Yeah. And suddenly an article comes in about Big Bang Theory. 
Uh, so I, I had to uh, grab it. So uh, the articles from ScreenRant.com, uh, Abdullah Al-Gamdi and Stephen Barker are the authors of this. Uh, the deck statement says, according to sources, one detail about the recently announced spinoff of the Big Bang Theory is already a very encouraging sign for the show. Um, the uh, Big Bang Theory spinoff helmed by Chuck Lorre, who is the creator of the original Big Bang uh, Theory, promises to maintain the same comedic universe and blend established charm with fresh energy. Chuck Lorre's involvement in the spinoff suggests a rich tapestry of science, wit, and heart which are synonymous with his creations. True. Um, the fact that the idea for the spinoff came from Lore himself, rather than being driven by economics, gives hope for fans eager to see the legacy of the Big Bang Theory continue. I certainly do. I, I really like the show. Um, even though I really don't like Sheldon. And I've never watched any of Young Sheldon, which apparently is, you know, very somewhat popular. But it's ending after season seven. Well, and the appeal of Big Bang Theory, I think, is all of the people and their interactions together. So yeah, you'd be missing that on Young Sheldon or a similar thing that featured one of the, the characters. And the one thing that actually holds true for pretty much every sitcom is it jumped the shark as soon as everybody started getting pregnant and married and all of that kind of stuff. The dynamic changed, the energy changed uh, to some degree. And... Uh, I just, and, and we're actually witnessing it right now because that's where we are in the series where people are um, having babies and getting married. And I just thought that it was uh, definitely the, the trigger of the uh, jumping the shark meme. The anticipation for the spinoff hinges on more than just brand loyalty. It's buoyed by the involvement of Chuck Lore, um, whose Midas touch has turned many sitcoms into television gold. The project, still shrouded in mystery, has yet to reveal its cast or storyline. Yet the mere confirmation that it will dwell in the same universe as Big Bang Theory suggests a rich tapestry of science with, it says with, and heart. I'm reading it verbatim. Science with and heart. Maybe, uh, what did they say up here? Um, wit. Yeah, wit. Okay, that makes a little more but, sense. But their typo just made it with. Um, so I was actually confused. I thought maybe it was science with heart, but nah. Anyway, right, science. I thought so too. Okay, with, there were 12 seasons, by the way. Oh, 12 seasons. There you go. So um, Big Bang Theory would be from Chuck Lore. I think it goes into other articles, but... Um, uh, I've already always liked uh, the Big Bang Theory. People kind of uh, kept on talking about it, having a laugh track. But I know um, that it was filmed in front of a live audience. Uh, maybe they pumped a, a, a laugh track in post. Um, but a lot of that laughter was actually filmed in front of a live audience. Um, because there are... There are um, videos about them doing scenes and there's a there's like grandstands um and there's an actual studio audience like that studio audience mm -hmm. yeah so uh, i can't wait i think it'll be fun i miss this kind of um series but i don't think that we're gonna get the same number of episodes anymore i think we're gonna continue to get eight to ten push twelve um 
but back when this was actually in existence there were like 28 <laughs> it's like star trek um had just massive amounts each season or it was just huge um but nowadays it's 10 episodes and um that's it so which really compels uh there has to be a massive amount of creation you can't just watch okay so you have 10 shows but what is the next 10 and then the next 10 which means there's so much balkanization in story build and world building in character development so you're watching something for 10 episodes for 10 weeks essentially and then you have to switch to something else which means that all of these other writers and actors and uh the whole world has to be spun up for this new material for this new um series and that series may suck whereas the original like big bang theory was gold right every every episode was was gold let's say so you will have to wait until the next rotation for the next season because everything else that's coming out is just fluff to fill the gap until the next season of the big bang theory comes around well it seems like it would lead to less um show loyalty too like you're just waiting for almost an entire year for the season to pick back up again assuming no delays yeah so you subscribe to paramount for three months and then you bow out you rotate to something else and i know people that do this right like they'll subscribe to hulu for a little while they'll switch to netflix for a little while just to get what they know is there and will enjoy um so uh, we'll watch this and see what happens it'll be fun i would love i still want to do i'm trying to overcome copyright issues um i because we can't stream the actual show, um, but we might be able to get away with something um, uh, stream adjacent um, so that we can all watch it together without having some weird connection to some particular stream or whatever. It'll make sense when I get done with this, but I'm working on it. Um, the next article is over in hometown daily neuroscientists say textbook brain rewiring theory is in fact wrong. Um, this is something that, uh, I've been telling people for a long time, but I am not a, a neuroscientist by any stretch. Um, but do you know who is Amy Farrah Fowler, a- Amy Farrah Fowler. That's right. The big bang theory comes back Neuro- again. Neurobiologist, but I guess it's similar a neuroscientist. She's a neuroscientist. Uh, professors are calling into question the commonly held belief that a loss of sight causes the brain to rewire and pick up new sounds. That is not true. Um, so the brain doesn't rewire itself so much as you just become more hypervigilant. Um, that is what I've been saying, uh, for years and years and years and years. Um, there's a, a particular instance that led to that, um, belief, but um the notion that the brain can repurpose parts of itself for new functions is often stated in scientific textbooks the team notes for example many people believe that when a person loses their sight the brain is able to rewire the visual cortex to process sounds offering a form of echolocation for navigating and that's just not true another commonly held belief is the 
Following a stroke, when an individual is initially unable to move their limbs, the brain repurposes parts of itself, allowing regained control. So an international team of scientists are not convinced. The idea that the brain can rewrite itself in response to an injury or medical condition is fundamentally flawed. They propose that instead, the brain is simply retraining itself to use abilities that were already there, but latent. The idea that our brain has an amazing ability to rewire and reorganize itself is an appealing one. It gives us hope and fascination. This idea goes beyond simple adaptation or plasticity. It implies a wholesale repurposing of brain regions, which just isn't true. Um, previous Why studies. Why do you think that this was so widespread? I mean, I guess they just hadn't studied it and they could see the result. Because the the fidelity needed to look into the brain to make sure that it isn't doing something uh, like rewiring uh, takes time and dedication to pursue it and so i've always thought that it's simply not it's not rewiring but we're paying more attention to whatever it is right because if it were true that your brain could rewire itself, then you would be able to gain function again when you have a TBI, a traumatic brain injury. And that's just not what happens. Um, we can train around it. So if somebody has a stroke, you may be able to adapt and overcome the limitation imposed by the stroke. But it's pretty typical that you uh, never get back the full function of something like a, a partial stroke where the muscles on one side of the face no longer react to stimuli. Um, and so you maintain slurred speech or um, limited function uh, like blinking and smiling and things like that. Um, so it says one study from the 1980s, for example, analyzed what happens to the body following a finger amputation. The researchers reported that the attention to the brain previously gave the finger was uh, reallocated after it was removed. The team argued that this showed how the brain rewired itself in response to this change. That was actually kind of what I was going to talk about. Like if you have your arm... If you lose your arm, then suddenly your brain would rewire so that you can use that area for something else. But it says, however, Mankin, Mackin, sorry, um, had previously found evidence in a study from 2022 that this might not be the case. She used nerve blockers to temporarily mimic the effect of amputating a forefinger. Mackin found that before amputation, there were signals from neighboring fingers that were mapped into the region of the brain that was said to be responsible for the forefinger this suggests that the region of the brain might be uh, primarily involved in processing si signals from the forefinger it was not doing this exclusively and following the simulated amputation existing signals from the other fingers are just being increased so the noise is gone and so the others were just receiving signals, but it's not rewiring. It's just now there's no signal going to the uh, disconnected. Right. So maybe they've learned two things, right? That it's not the rewiring, but also that there are existing signals, maybe in areas they didn't think there were. Correct. Yeah. 
So the, the researcher goes on, the brain's ability to adapt to injury isn't about commandeering new brain regions for entirely different purposes. These regions don't start processing entirely new types of information. Information about the other fingers was available in the examined brain area even before the amputation. It's just that the original studies, the researchers didn't pay much notice to it because it was weaker than the finger about to be amputated, which is what I was, the signal's no longer there. So when the others were receiving a quieter signal, that signal's gone. And so now the other signals are a little bit louder. Um, so by examining these other studies along with their own research, Mackin and Krakauer uh, concluded that there is no evidence to suggest that these widely held notions are correct. As they noted, um, there has been no evidence to suggest that those born blind or those uh, that suffer a stroke ever develop new abilities due to brain rewiring. So, yeah. Um, and if you see people that go through this um, often enough, um, it's pretty obvious that it's some anecdotal um, hope that you're going to recover, um, but it's it, it's really difficult to do that. Your brain isn't going to rewire, but you can adapt. You're probably not going to be at 100% immediately after something traumatic. Right. It takes time, and it's not rewiring. You're just retraining yourself to cope with the mechanisms that are actually still functionally um, perfect, you know? Okay, so let's keep going. Uh, this next article is over in the Mobile Channel. First experimental evidence of hot fions in crystals. Research opens up new dimension for future technology. So this is one of these articles where you're like, huh? Um, but I'm really into magnetism, electromagnetism in particular, um, and magnetics. Um, and so the articles over at phys.org, Uppsala University, which I think is really a cool name um, for a university, uh, put the article together and it was posted over here on phys.org. Um, let me throw this into chat because I didn't um, go over just that little segment. So I went straight to the source. So Hopfion's magnetic spin structures uh, predicted decades ago have become a hot and challenging research topic. Um, in recent years, a study published, pardon me one second, um, published in Nature, the first experimental evidence is presented by a Swedish-German-Chinese research collaboration. I need to pull something up real quick so that... Um, do, 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 do. Okay, so our result was important from both a fundamental and applied point of view as a new bridge has emerged between experimental physics and abstract mathematical form, uh, theory, um, potentially leading uh, to Hopfion's finding an application in spintronics, which is basically tracking the spin of electrons. Um, so it's like a subset of chemistry? Um, physics. Yeah. Um, so, and, and really it's all merged together because, <laughs> um, you're basically creating new, um, material science. So it's a little bit of everything. Deeper understanding of how different components of the materials function is important for the development of innovative materials and future technology. The research field of spintronics, for example, 
which studies the spin of electrons, has opened up promising uh, possibilities to combine the electrons, electricity, and magnetism for applications such as new electronics. So they talk about these two things called skirmians and hopfions, uh, which are... They're they new Transformers classes. They are, yes. <laughs> um, Don't they have that sound to them? <laughs> they do, yeah. Hopfions unite and form a skirmian. <laughs> Um, I think it's the other way around though. Skirmians are two-dimensional, Hopfions are uh, three-dimensional, um, and they can actually act kind of like a crystal and form this back here. Um, and the arrows are the direction of their magnetic field. So it's quite fascinating technology. Um, What's interesting about this is, oh, and here they talk about it. Skirmians are two-dimensional, resembling vortex-like strings, while hopfions are three-dimensional structures within a magnetic sample uh, volume, resembling closed, twisted skirmian strings in a shape like a donut. And they actually have a picture of it, which is really fascinating that they take something that was theoretical, theoretical, and they discover that it actually is legit. Like it, it it's something that actually manifests. Um, I, I, I'm always fascinated when they discover something like this um, and the ability to embody it like this and represent it is really fascinating because it's very difficult to visualize a magnetic field without something else being imposed on it, which actually modifies the magnetic field. So if you want to see, you can actually get this uh, magnetic film and you put it on a magnet and you can see where the field is and how it emanates. And there's kind of, there's things called line flux lines. It's the flow of the magnetic field. Um, and it just goes, you go down the rabbit hole of this thing and you end up making a coil gun or something. Um, so the findings open up new fields of experimental physics, um, identifying other crystals in which hopfions are stable, studying new hopfion interact with the uh, with electric and spin currents, Hopfion dynamics, and more. Um, and this, the reason why I chose this is because we just watched um, a Big Bang Theory again. Uh, I, it's almost like uh, Hometown Daily is becoming a Big Bang Theory main. We're just talking about Big Bang Theory. Everything in the world is related to Big Bang Theory in some way, but they just created the, um, they applied for a patent or they started the process of applying for a patent um, on something that is similar to this, um, which was a, a quantum gyroscope, essentially it always um, like it's a perpetual gyroscope. It was really fascinating that they were talking about it. Um, and that's kind of what this actually has the potential to be. Uh, um, it's a, a new area where at the microscopic level, they're creating something that can be detected and tracked. Um, and it, but it's just different. It, it's a, it's going to be interesting to see if anybody comes out with a, a product or something like that. It says here, however, we can speculate that Hopfions may be the greatest interest when upgrading to the third dimension of almost any technology being developed with magnetic skirmians racetrack memory, neuromorphic computing, and qubits explains Rybakov. Um, and um, this right here is probably the most interesting of them all. Um, qubits are the quantum bits of a quantum computer. And if we can make these and track them more reliably, 
they're easier to form and they don't take extreme temperatures one way or the other to, to process and to reset and to um, assess, then I this could be- I thought they were an arcade name. Cubits? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's, um, I, that, I think that's Qbert. Yeah, this is the cousin, Qubit. Anyway, um, yeah, pretty neat, right? You think? I love this kind of Very stuff. Cool. All right, let's keep going. We got one more article and then we are done for the night. Uh, the next article is over in hometown daily Bard can now watch YouTube videos for you. Okay. Have we gotten so lazy that we can't even be bothered to watch? Yes, yes absolutely. We are inherently lazy. Humans are inherently lazy. Um, so Bard Google's AI chatbot which apparently did not get the CEO job for OpenAI, has steadily been getting more useful after a lackluster introduction. Now, as noted by Android Authority, the bot's YouTube integration is getting a handy upgrade so it can analyze individual videos to surface um, specific information for you, like key points or recipe ingredients without ever pressing play. That potentially a hugely useful tool, but can spell more worry about generative AI for creators. Um, the article is over at The Verge, written by Allison Johnson. The uh, deck statement says Bard's YouTube extension can now handle complex queries about specific video content like recipe quantities and instruction summaries. Um, this is pretty cool, um, but... I'm pretty sure that you could probably ask Google and or Bard and or um, what is the name of it's the chat GPT is open AI, but there is one that's tailored for uh, Windows and I just forgot what it's called. I keep wanting to refer to it as sidecar, but it's not sidecar. It's something else. Um, Talk on it. I just forgot it. Well, anyway, I'm pretty sure that anything you see in a YouTube video. Is it Copilot? Copilot. Thank you. Yep. Um, totally. Whatever. My brain just blanked. I'm pretty sure that if you see something on YouTube or you think of it and go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go look at YouTube. You could probably throw the inquiry into chat GPT or Bard itself, and you can get anything from recipe quantities to instruction summaries regardless of the content being on YouTube. So I hesitate. Uh, uh, the only thing that this allows me to do, if I were to use uh, an AI to assess a, a video on YouTube, is that I know that whatever it, and even then I suspect that it's gonna be a bunch of BS, it will supposedly limit its response to the content from that video but we know that ai reaches into some uh what do they call it um hallucination it reaches into the black box of simulation and pulls out noise and says that's a fact and that's just patently bad so if bard will be able to tell me 
the only thing that I used for this response is that video. And if I go back through that video, because I'm going to have to do it anyway, because I don't trust AI, at least not yet. If I go back and everything that Bard spits out and Bard was notorious for spitting out BS, like saying that there are certain facts about NASA and stuff, and it was just patently wrong. If I watch the video and video after video, I start to trust Bard, just wait until I get that one landmine of wrong information and it costs a job or a gig or whatever. Right. On a more basic level, though, if you're making a recipe and it doesn't give you the right information, you don't shop for the right groceries. You find yeah. out halfway through a souffle recipe or something, which is supposed to be very difficult. Something is failing. Like it just it doesn't make any yeah, sense. it's a wrong ingredient. Because that one, the there was one where they like poison pilled the the artificial intelligence, and it was spitting out like horrendous recipes where you're mixing oh, an right. acid in a base and basically blowing up your kitchen. So to try it out, the author of this article, um, again, it's Allison Johnson, um, turned Bard on a YouTube video that they regularly reference for spiritual guidance, America's Test Kitchen recipe for an espresso martini. Seriously, it's really good, is what the author says. They found out um, in their kitchen with half the ingredients and a cocktail shaker trying to remember how to how much Benedictine um, they're supposed to add, then rewatching a video to find out. But with Bard on the case, all I have to do is type a few prompts and voila. Uh, type a few prompts. Viola. And viola. <laughs> it suddenly turned musical. Yeah. I have a full list of ingredients and some step-by-step -step instructions. So ta-da. Um, I think that you could probably ask anybody anything. I mean, you can sit there and ask other smart speakers. It doesn't have to be barred. Um, but maybe it's in, like Benedictine espresso martini recipe or something. Correct. But maybe they want this specific that one. Specific one, yeah. And as long as you vet it, you know, you verify this is legit. But again, we've had countless episodes of the AI getting it wrong. So they talk about this in a, a sort of haphazard way. Uh, the only thing that's not quite on target is that it says you should shake the drink for 30 seconds. The video definitely doesn't demonstrate or advise you shake it for that long. But overall, yeah, well, job done. But here's the problem. It made that up. Exactly. So even though it happens to work out here, that's not the recipe. Right. Plus here, you can't really validate the recipe because it's saying it's behind a paywall. So unless they're going over to that and checking it after the fact. Yeah, it's assessing it from the video. That's their implication is that Bard watched the video, grabbed the content. But if it's on YouTube, Bard may be looking at the transcript on the back end that's translated into, you know, Bard speak. Not everything has a, a transcript available, but it m might be on the back end that nobody else is privy to. I'm still trying to figure out how my videos are being flagged as being political promotion when 
when I have a human being actually respond, they've told me that it's incidental. As I'm scrolling, they said, in my news presentation, particularly at the beginning and end of each of the shows, there are incidental headlines that speak to political campaigns. And I don't know why this is, but both of the examples that they gave me have reference to Republican political campaigns. Both of the times that a human being has said that, well, it was flagged because of this, it's been a, a Republican headline. Well, I have countless other headlines, so why aren't all of them being flagged? But it's always the two that they gave me an example of. So um, at any rate, I don't think, I think that it's AI that's assessing that. And I think that in this, again, it, context really matters. If I can't trust the AI, I'm not going to lean into it. I've even stopped using chat GPT because there's so much garbage and I don't want to have to become a subject matter expert. I don't need the AI to do it, you know? Um, but I do have associates that use it regularly, um, to do things like homework and actual work. So it has a purpose, but I don't, I just don't trust it for my particular work. Anyway, um, at the moment, this uh, feature only exists in an opt-in labs experiment. And, um, it takes a little work to get the answer you're looking for. When they asked for the full recipe from the video, Bard wasn't able to generate anything, but asking for step-by-step -step instructions on a subsequent prompt gave them the whole recipe. And with that much friction, there's probably no current danger to ATK's YouTube strategy, ATK, America's test kitchen. Um, so I don't know, I, I, as time goes on, they're going to get more and more efficient and effective. I, I really do love the idea of an AI. I just don't like the growing pains leading to a lot of BS information. Well, and aren't these tools supposed to make things more efficient? And it seems yeah. like it's actually adding more work because you have to go validate everything. <clears throat> well, and not everybody does that. They, they already have some experience. And so when they ask for something, it's already constructed. And then they look at it and they go, I can fix this. And, and so it's not about really having to become a subject matter expert because they already have some experience. Um, and there's like all these people that say, well, I wrote this program using Bard or ChatGPT. And then when you peel back the layers of the onion, the reality is that they've got 20 years of experience in some other language. And suddenly they're, they're come, trying to come out of the gate saying that they've never programmed before. Yeah, maybe in Godot, but you've been programming in uh, Java and C++ and et cetera, et cetera, for 20 years for crying out loud. Yeah, you already have it down. It's not that big of a deal. Anyway, um, it's interesting that they're expanding it. Um, but if anybody was going to attach it to YouTube videos, it was going to be Google and it was going to be Bard. Um, nobody else can tap into it that easily. Um, for instance, I asked um, chat GPT, um, if it was able to access YouTube and watch a video and it said that it couldn't, um, but maybe I phrased it wrong at this point. Apparently you can ask Bard different things and it'll respond differently. 
even though the real right, but it's only in a lab according to the article right yeah so not not a lab it's not a lab as in like a physical space it's a compartmentalized feature within it it's called an opt-in labs experiment so you can actually experience sorry there's um labs that you can activate so that you can experiment with it um anyway uh there's a little update at the end so i i'm having a hard time concentrating on it so added a note that they have reached out to google to ask for a statement on the potential impact to youtube creators just like any other ai it's gonna be context-based not everybody is gonna suffer from an ai you know jumping in their stuff but an ai reviewing a video and and doing what amounts to summary and and more um in-depth explanation of concepts that are found within it i think that's the next logical step so i can say you know hey bard go and look at this um, deep dive physics video and explain all of the fundamentals to me so that i'm on board faster that's going to help people who want to know more <laughs> Um, but don't have the time to spend 15 years of their existence trying to bone up to the PhD level in physics. So anyway, seems pretty cool, um, but we'll see. And like all the other AI things going on now, who knows who the next CEO is going to be of Bard. Just kidding. For those who aren't... <laughs> We're not expecting an open AI type... Uh... <laughs> implosion. Implosion. And ultimately, I guess Sam Altman is back. Um, so I guess the title for one of my episodes or our episodes, pardon me. One of our episodes was titled uh, Play It Again, Sam. It was almost prescient. Um, I still think, though, that uh, the, the reality of what it was was the intent to pivot the not-for-profit to be profit and uncapped because... Within one year, it went from non-existent to an over $85 billion capitalization uh, or value. Um, so it being uncapped means that they could make trillions. You know, this could be the fastest growing company in existence, um, particularly if what I suspect happened actually has happened and they've got a super AI waiting in the wings we let's, will see let's give it six months all right folks that's it so bring you back to the front page and for this episode i'm not going to refresh this because i'm going to try something there's largely nothing on the front page that is overtly political except a, a an acronym you know uh, not an acronym but a, a shortened name a monogram um, and so I'm just going to leave it all alone and see what happens. Um, but that's it for today. Thank you very much for coming and hanging out. Uh, we'll be here tomorrow, 8 PM, even though it's Thanksgiving. Um, it's, it's 8 PM. We're going to, we'll, we'll come and hang out. If you are interested in it, we'll be here, um, for at least an hour. If I keep rambling, we'll be here for two days. I'm Merwat, that's hometown.com, and up there is the Sentient AI's visualizer. You want to say, ciao, baby. <laughs>
Good night, hometown citizens. <laughs> that is not what I. Ciao, baby. <laughs> hey, look at that! Wow, I just Jedi mind tricked the sentient AI. Thanks for being chill here with me. See you, everybody. See you tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern. Bye bye. Thank you.